What the Blue Zones say is what's number one in terms of longevity, health and happiness. It's not kale. It's not yoga. It's not swimming in the sea. It's the tribe. It's the tribe of people you surround yourselves. It's the community that's number one in terms of longevity in the, in the communities that live the longest and kind of most wholesome kind of lives, you know. Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people, both within as well as outside the health space, to hopefully inspire you, as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier, because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. Before we get started today, just a quick word to let you know that I am going to be on a mini tour around the UK in January 2019 around the launch of my new book, The Stress Solution. You can see all the live dates on my website at drchatterjee.com forward slash events. Do check it out. I really hope that there is an event near you. If not, do jump onto one of my social media channels and let me know where you would like me to speak. New dates are being added all the time. Today's guests are actually two identical twins from Ireland, Steve and Dave, also known as the happy pair. These guys are possibly two of the most positive people I have ever had the pleasure of spending time with. I think their story is one of inspiration from both a health as well as a business perspective. We talk about how sometimes it's important to follow your heart and go with your own self-belief rather than with the crowds, how changing their diets and lifestyle has transformed their lives. And we also cover the power of community in the creation of health. I felt happy and inspired at the end of my conversation with Steve and Dave. I'm sure you will too. Before we get started, I do need to give a quick shout out to our sponsors who are essential in order for me to be able to put out weekly episodes like this one. I'm delighted that Athletic Greens continue to support this podcast. I believe that the right nutrition is an essential ingredient to having a healthy and happy life. Whilst I prefer people to get the nutrition from eating foods, I recognize that sometimes in today's busy, stressful world, this can be a little bit challenging. Athletic Greens is unquestionably one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, digestive enzymes, and adaptogens. If you want to take a tasty greens powder every morning as an insurance policy, to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of the podcast, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, where you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. So do go and check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So guys, I'm here with Dave and Steve from The Happy Pair. We are actually in my house in Cheshire, near Manchester Airport. You guys have flown in this morning to come and record on my podcast. Guys, thank you so much for coming over. 
Ash is grateful and delighted. And it's great to be sitting on the ground recording this podcast. It makes it even more fun and more authentic. It's more grounded and feels really just lovely. feels casual. Yeah, it's great because normally I'm, well, I'm often recording these podcasts in London, either in a studio or, you know, I'm sort of rushing around and I've got a room booked. But it's super nice that we're here in my house. We've got a candle on, you know, I'm next to my, my son's drum kit. We're all just chilling out on the, on the floor. It's brilliant. And it's very quiet. It's very calm. Like it really is. There's a lovely atmosphere here. It's lovely to be in your house. Thank you, Rankin. Hey, no worries. Well, thanks for coming over, guys. I hope we're not that relaxed where we send people to sleep on this podcast. <laughs> but there's so much I could talk to you guys about. And I think, I don't know, for me, you know, the feedback I get from this podcast is a lot of people are using it as a way of inspiring them to change their lives and just make small changes. Sometimes often they just hear something that they think, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to go and do that. And just as you guys were on your way here in the cab this morning from Manchester Airport, I was thinking about how I might start this. And I was kind of thinking that there's a lot of information out there in the world these days about health, but there's a difference between information and inspiration. And a lot of people know the right things to do, yet for whatever reason, they don't feel motivated to actually make those changes. But I think you guys have got a really inspirational story as to, you know, how you changed. And, you know, why don't you sort of, well, I guess we could start by you saying, you know, what is the happy pair? And where did the happy pair begin? Okay, cool. Well, I start with a story. Well, I tell a story, tell a little story first, and then we can move along. Uh, so we're identical twins, um, both thirty-eight, um, David and Stephen, uh, and we and, do. And look, who's speaking at the moment? Just uh, David so speaking here, and this is Stephen's voice. So I guess we grew up in Greystones in Ireland. It's a small little town, um, about twenty thousand people. And I guess when we went to school. We went to all boys schools. We have two other brothers, so there's four of us all together. And back when we were 18, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were doing male modeling. We were, you know, we were very good at golf. We were good kind of, we were good achievers. We were overachievers as identical twins. And I remember that we kind of, we'd gone to an all-boys school. So really, we just wanted to go to college and university just to meet girls, really, because there'd be more schools at university than an all-boys school. Um, and I guess we ended up studying business. And, and at the time, I remember coming out of university and the both of us had kind of lost faith in the American dream, the kind of money makes you happy. You know, the kind of, the per, you know, going into university, we were all about, we wanted to be millionaires before we were 30. We wanted to have a fleet of Ferraris by the time we were 40. We were, you know, we were very materialistic focused and we'd really bought into the, the whole kind of materialistic thing. And by the time we'd finished university age 21, we had kind of, we'd, kind of thought there must be more to life. So we ended up going off on this journey of self-discovery separately as identical twins. And uh, I remember I went to go be a pro golfer and and I kind of sold my clubs very quickly after that. And anyway, we ended up spending a couple of years exploring life and really exploring our own social conditioning and our boundaries. And we ended up, you know, we left as meat, meat, meat and two veg kind of Irish people, boys that were drank loads of beer and loved nothing more than chasing girls. And we came back, we ended up spending two years traveling and we ended up changing our diet. We became vegetarian and then vegan and then got into yoga and meditation. And we, we tried everything alternative, really. And then uh, one day Stephen called me up and he says, Dave, and we were 21 at the time, or 23, I'd say. And St- this is back in 2001. And Steve calls me up and he says, Dave, I've got this idea. Do you want to try and start a health food revolution? And I was in Mexico at the time and I'd been reading all about Che Guevara and I thought revolution was going to be like storming the parliament and placards and like rallying people and whatever. And Steve says to me, Dave, do you want to start a vegetable shop? 
And I, I thought this was the furthest thing from revolution ever. And he says, no, I've got a dream, Dave. Just trust me in this. So we came back to our own little town in Greystones after a few years traveling. And uh, we'd left, as, as I'd said there, as kind of we were overachievers. We were going places. Mom and dad were very proud of us. The kind of community around us really supported us and thought we were great. And we came back as these two long-haired hippies that were wearing trinkets. We were wearing polyester shirts. We, were, we didn't use soap because soap was bad, man. And we were into yoga and we were, into, we were eating a vegan diet. So we changed fundamentally. And we're, our, our kind of main focus was on health, happiness and community. So it was much more about, instead of it being about I, it was more about we. So we started our business and we called it the happy pair, but we wanted to use business as a vehicle for social change. And when we first started, I was adamant to start it as a charity because it wasn't about money. And I guess having done degrees and masters in business, it was very much, you know, money, capitalism. It was very yeah. much, that was success. And I was very much anti-money. I wanted to, and I, we ended up calling it the happy pair, but I was adamant. I wanted to call it, you want to, uh, sorry for interrupting. Uh, I was just going to say, Stephen wanted to call it a different name. And I remember it was one, this is 2004. And I remember we just started our business and we ended up calling it the happy pair because it was two of us and we were selling fruit. But I remember the sign man there, it was November, it was 2004, it was a sunny Friday evening. And I remember we were sitting back in the cars watching the shop front as this sign man was going to put, Declan the sign man was going to put the numbers of our shop across the shop front. And we were so excited. And uh, it was so much, it was a great, lovely feeling. And then I remember he came back to us after half an hour and he says, lads, you're going to have to call it something else. Like the name just looks, it doesn't look right there. And uh, the name Stephen was adamant in calling it was Flinner's Fruit and Veg for Social Change. So that, that was that was where we what we wanted to call the business. But um, so it'll kind of tell you a reflection of where we were coming from. Really. And like a lot of people from the local community, we're from a small town and we started our business in Greystones, which is a small town that we grew up. So a lot of mom and dad's friends from the golf club or the bridge club or, you know, kind of well-established institutes were like, what happened to the lads? Like they weren't going places and here they drive a van and they wear funny clothes and they're vegetarians. There was this kind of idea that they're definitely selling drugs down the back. Yeah. Obviously we weren't, but it was, you know, and a lot of our friends, even from the rugby days, you know, we didn't have that shared interest. You know, we, we still had the friendship and the depth of friendship having grown up, but it was kind of like, geez, what happened to Flinner? You know, this type of idea. I mean, there's, there's so many things that come to my mind as you guys are telling your story. The first thing is that you guys were 21 when you started, you know, feeling that there was something else out there that is this the route to happiness? You know, just making a load of money, you know, going out with lots of girls, drinking a load of beer, you know, that sort of thing, which, which many people do think at 21. I certainly think if I think back to me at 21, uh, it probably wasn't dissimilar in, in many ways. Um, but I certainly wasn't, I don't think I was aware enough of myself at the age of 21 to think that there was something else out there. Uh, that's for sure. You know, we were just talking, you know, I was uh, a very keen musician, uh, well, I still am. And, you know, I still was harboring dreams of actually rock and roll at 21. Um, I wasn't really thinking about changing my diet. I wasn't really thinking on going on this journey to actually find out what more there is to life. So I'm, I'm interested as to what was going on at 21 that made two, you know, beer loving rugby players, you know, go on such an extreme lifestyle change compared to where you where you were. And the other thing I, I really want to touch on is you mentioned, um, Steve, about we. There was no I for you guys. It was always about we and, and creating a community. And I wonder. Is there something about being an identical twin, do you think, that that plays into that? Because a lot of us are quite me-focused in society, particularly these days. And 
you know, very few of us are identical twins. So you've obviously grown yeah. up and... We've grown up as a we. Exactly. In essence, like, like in my language, I will regularly use we by accident. So, so there, there's got to be something in that. Is it, or What do you think? Is there something in that, that you are identical twins that really led you to have community and we right at the top of what you guys were doing? I don't know. Like, like, I, I, like to go into the, year, the first part of your question there, like we were 21. We'd finished, I'd finished a master's in business. You'd done a degree in business and finance. Um, and I remember sitting at home, we explored the idea. We always wanted to work together because we had such fun hanging out. And we figured, you know, we were kind of a bit very self, we kind of our own ideas about the world and we wanted to go explore them. So we kind of, we were naturally gravitating to start being self-employed or running our own business. And I remember we spent the summer exploring the idea of a kind of environmentally friendly proper develop, property development company. And after a while I was kind of like, ah, not really into this. And I remember sitting at home, mum's um, kitchen table, it was about November and I was like, I said to Dave, Dave, like, I don't know, I just, I don't feel that happy in myself. Like, I'm going to go away. I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to Canada and I'm not coming back until I know what I'm into and I'm happy. Um, and a lot of the dissatisfaction, like we're identical twins. So you, you kind of, you spend your life as a we and competing for love and attention. So it was quite a brave step for us as individuals to go off and be, oh, I'm Stephen and I'm exposed. I don't have David here to protect me. You both me. went off separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To try to, one, understand what it's like to be an individual and two, to kind of explore our own social conditioning. Like at the time, we obviously didn't know that. I was just gone because I wanted to explore the world. Uh, and I remember meeting Uncle Porg and he was like, what are you doing, lads? Are you going, uh, what's your trip for? And, and we take the piss going, I'm in search of truth, man. But the reality was we were in search of our own truth, like trying to explore <clears throat> like our social conditioning and how, what was beneath the, the life we were told to live by society, if you will. And, and why, you know, in your experience, obviously you've been doing this for what, 13, 14 years now? Yeah, yeah. Um, to me, I wish I went on that journey at 21 in many ways. Uh, well, not I wish, you know, I, I kind of very accepting these days of, of the way things have played themselves yeah, out. Yeah. You know, I, I presumably wasn't ready to go on that journey at the age of 21. Um, you know, I, I, it does seem that that was in complete contrast to what a lot of your peers were doing. Certainly, so, yeah. You know, and also the community in which you grew up, that it seems quite alien that what you were doing compared to everything around you. So how was that? Uh, uh, David here I, I was thinking what was quite interesting in terms of that was so we left with our community was rugby players they were it was beer drinking that was our pastimes and that was what we did and we came back and we had t fundamentally changed where our views on life had changed quite significantly and obviously our old friends didn't really accept us because we didn't have the rugby in common we didn't have the drinking in common we like they thought we were really we changed so much so setting up our business was our, our vehicle to create a community. We wanted to create a community of people around this new lifestyle. So when we started our business right from the start, it was really about inviting people in, bring, creating this community that was more focused about lifestyle, about health, about eating good locally grown organic food and really trying to celebrate this type of thing. So right from the start, we used to do baking competitions. We used to go speak in local schools. We'd go any opportunity to go kind of evangelize this kind of new lifestyle that was what we kind of started doing. Did, did you find it difficult? Because I'm just thinking about this. A lot of the listeners uh, to this podcast, uh, from the feedback I get, have already made significant lifestyle change or are you know, on the road to, to trying to make those changes. But often they come up with an obstacle, which is their existing network, their friends or their family, you know, they, they sort of 
they liked them the way they were before, not when they were really mm. careful over what they ate or, you know, talking about how important it is to, to think about the wider world and what and, and the impacts that all our decisions make on the wider world. And, you know, I wonder if there's anything that you guys can share that you think would be useful for them, because a lot of people find this very, very difficult. Oh, Absolutely. I think one of the keys to any lifestyle change is creating support and community around you because ultimately we become a product of the five people we spend most time with. And if you're spending time with five people that don't want you to be healthy, don't want you to be whatever the lifestyle change you're trying to apply. So I think even in our case, as Dave mentioned there, we came back fundamentally different people and lots of our old mates didn't didn't want and us how to was be... that? How was that when you met your buddies? Oh, it was quite like, what the hell happened to you? They, they didn't know, we didn't and have did that Did you find shit. that hard though? Well, it was easy because we're twins, so we yeah. didn't need the others. We were very happy in our own little world. It was great. So in essence, when we started our business, we had to find new mates. So we ended up hanging out with a lot of, there was a lot of kind of transient Spanish people around the town. We became friends with them. We started anyone that was vegetarian or was into health or was into community or was into swimming in the sea and wasn't into kind of going out getting drunk. It was like, oh, maybe will you be my mate? Can we be mates? You know, this type of thing. And quite funnily, you know, our whole, our, our, Every, you know, the worlds that we live in, the little bubble we live in now, there's more people than not that don't drink, that swim in the sea, that do yoga, that do triathlons, that like eat well, that like have very, they're into like, it's just a different kind of community than when I read the newspaper or I go travel and I realize, oh my God, people eat, you know. So it's funny how our life, this kind of community of people has kind of fleshed it around our little bubble. You know, it's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, it really is incredible um, to, to have had the foresight to do that. Um, I, I think the whole the whole piece about community, I think, is, is huge because you know loneliness is something that is endemic in society these days. Um, and, and when people talk about loneliness, they often imagine elderly people, you know, living by themselves, you know, not seeing any other, you know, friends or family for a long period of time and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you that as a as a doctor. As a, as a practicing GP, I'm seeing a lot of young guys, you know, particularly between the age of 30 and 40, who are lonely in the sense that, sure, they're, they're, they've got jobs, they're seeing people, um, but they're not actually making time to see their friends. They're too busy to actually see their friends. They sort of feel in many ways that I don't really need to see them because I can kind of see on Instagram or Facebook what they're up to. So why do I actually need to see them in real life? And, you know, we're learning more and more that being lonely is as harmful on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, mm. which is just, it's just profound. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing about what you guys are about. It's creating that community. You've done that in the village where you grew up. And I'd love to, if you to share all that with the listeners, but what is it, why do you think community is so important? How do you think we can actually, for people listening to this who don't live in a very tightly knit community like you guys do, you know, is there stuff that they can learn about how they can create communities to help them lead happier and, and healthier lives. Brilliant, love it. Uh, I think the first one, I totally validate with everything what you're saying. I know now one of the leading causes of disease nowadays is not cancer, it's not heart disease, it's isolation, loneliness and depression. And that's what it's saying is the root of so many of these diseases, as you're saying. And interesting enough, when we were here, we were on our way over traveling this morning, we were reading stuff about the blue zones. 
And what the Blue Zones say is what's number one in terms of longevity, health and happiness. It's not kale. It's not yoga. It's not swimming in the sea. It's the tribe. It's the tribe of people you surround yourselves. It's the community that's number one in terms of longevity in the in the communities that live the longest and kind of most wholesome kind of lives, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think community. Stephen's got two stories. Yeah, I think like... Okay, where will I go first? I, I, I can tell, like, ultimately our business was set up to create this community and two things, or three things anyway, come to mind initially. Like, first thing I think, it's saying hello to people and acknowledging them. Like, I remember a friend was telling me, it was Sarah after we were swimming in the sea, we were back having breakfast in the Happy Pair, and uh, she was telling me about an interesting guy who, you know, lived in just a normal housing estate. And he decided, I, I wonder what happens if I pull down the wall in my garden and put a swing and a bench in it. And he happened to live on a, on a corner of, of, of the road. And he found it was amazing. So strangers would come and sit down at his bench. He'd come out of his house and suddenly he'd talk to them. And they went from being a stranger to someone he knew. And then from getting to know them more, he was hanging out and went, they became dear friends. So I think it's in modern day society, it's just connecting with another human to be more intimate, to show our vulnerability. And I think that's ultimately it. And I think anyone who's listening to this, it's simply like, I know we're on our way down to London later and London can feel so lonely because everyone's in such a rush. They're so busy. But it's amazing when we're, I guess, approaching London as a foreigner in for two days. You're really excited. Yeah. You're chatting away to anyone on the tube. And like initially, say, say you're in the tube and you pull out, you know, a little, maybe it'll be like a, a tub of berries and you offer the person next there like, <gasps> they, they think it's nearly like poisoned. Yeah. But, but slowly, if you offer another person, another person, and four people reject, but one person said yes. And then you go back to the others and they'll all take one. And then suddenly you're talking and it's amazing just a little thing like that can change I, your I can day. imagine you guys doing that actually because one thing I think is worth sharing is that I remember when you guys first contacted me on Instagram, it was with a video message. And it's really quite striking that because there's something, um, there's something quite unique about that. It was really happy, engaging uh, message that really struck out, you know, really connected with me because it's it's just more human. It was really human. Um, and I always remember that. And, and I always, I remember showing it to my wife thinking, God, these guys are great. You know, they're just absolutely, what a lovely, lovely way to get a message. Um, and what you say about the tube as well, because I, I like you guys spend quite a lot of time in London these days, even though I don't live there. And I, I love going in, but I also love getting out personally. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm from the Northwest. I'm from Manchester. That's where I sort of grown up most of my life. And, um, I also often in London, when I first started getting, I chat to people on the tube, Hey, how you doing, mate? Are you doing well? And I know people would just often blank me or sort of think it's so, yeah, because that's how we roll here up North. Um, and that, it's great that you guys persevere with that and make, you know, all it takes is one person yeah, to... Great conversations in the tube. Like, I've been surprised that I quickly can get to something deep and significant. But I know certain things that we've done in our community is when we first started our business, um, we had the fruit and vegetable shop and we opened the cafe next door and the fruit and veg shop, the door... Can I just give a context? So, so we kind of told a little bit of a backstory, but today we now employ 130 people and there's three cafes, two shops, a farm, and we have products in about... A hundred stores in a thousand stores in Ireland, and now over here in the UK and Waitrose. So, so the business has kind of grown quite a. It's turned into a business more than just two lads with a little vegetable shop. So, just to give a little bit of context, oh, and we've written a few cookbooks that are bestsellers as well. So, yeah, which, which is incredible. And you, you guys, you flew over from Dublin this morning, and you know, there's a there's a there's a two or three happy pair bags full of incredible goodies, which I'm uh, I've already started munching on, and they are fantastic. 
But what's really interesting is that you brought some fresh coffee today. Now, I've actually stopped drinking coffee a couple of months ago for, for a whole variety of different reasons. And I understand from you guys, you guys don't actually drink that much coffee either. But what we did do is that I thought, you know what, you guys have brought your coffee over. We're, we're all here together. We're, we're catching up. We're meeting for the very first time. You know, I put on, I brewed some coffee, and we sat around together in company having a great catch-up and a chat. Oh, to- totally agree with that. I think it's it. Like uh, when when we first started our cafe, I was adamant to Dave, we're not selling coffee. Coffee's bad. It's a drug. People get too much of it. Uh, and then dad said, that's ridiculous. You can't have a cafe and not sell <laughs> coffee. So for about seven years, I resentfully made coffee and we sold coffee. And then um, a number of years ago, a friend, a childhood friend, Paul Grimes, started working with us. And you know when you meet someone that's so passionate about something, even being around them, you feel like, wow. And he started talking about coffee, how like you can have a Kenyan coffee that tastes of blackcurrant. You can have like a roasted Brazilian that tastes of chocolate and this type of stuff. So I, I was immediately fascinated. And Paul subsequently came to work with us and we started our own roastery. And as a chef, I'm fascinated with the kind of pursuit of flavor and the controlling of the variables to kind of enhance flavor. Um, and, and I think with coffee, although many could see it as a drug or a stimulant or possibly extremely negative, but the impact of sitting down together, of, of kind of knowing where the coffee came from, how it was processed, how it was roasted, sitting together just to, to appreciate it and pay homage to like the journey that, that coffee bean is on. It brings you back to the present moment. You feel real. There's a sense of gratitude or appreciation there was just one part of that story which Stephen forgot to mention was, <laughs> was that uh, so, so we hadn't drank coffee in years and our childhood friend Paul Grimes started and an extremely unbelievably passionate about coffee and within six months he had Stephen competing in the Irish Barista Championships awards which he didn't win he, beca- should've, should've. he should have won uh, he won like a, a number of latte art contests and he, we, he, we'd gone from people that hated coffee to pe- people that were just we really appreciated the kind of art and the artisanal craft behind it so yeah and there's a, there was a real mindfulness and being in the present moment about what we just did you know sitting around the kitchen counter talking over a coffee and that's in real contrast isn't it to what what you see in I don't know if it's the same in your coffee shop or your cafe and, and I'd love you to share that in a second but you know as I was just saying you you know I spend a lot of time in London you guys spend a lot of time in London when I'm in London or even frankly if I'm here in the northwest of England it's so common now to be in a coffee shop and everyone's in a rush, everyone's stressed out, they're waiting in line, they're often just, you know, trying to answer their emails whilst they're in line, so not paying attention. They could have actually bumped into someone, a good work colleague or a good buddy, but they wouldn't even have seen it because they're so preoccupied with their phones. And again, I'm not criticizing. I do this many yeah, times. We all, we all... So I'm not, again, I'm not I'm gonna go at people. I'm just I'm just it's just an observation that they're doing that. But then often they'll also buy their latte or their Americano to go. And it's very much a, it's a, it's a stressy experience, you know, get it out, let me walk, let me rush to work with my coffee in my hand. And I get it, people are busy, they've got things to do. But there's something, there, there, there's something so nice about actually being in a coffee shop, let's say, and, and ordering it in, in, to stay in. Taking that 10 minutes to sit down and just yeah. savour that coffee and really appreciate where it's from. And I think ultimately we were starting the discussion earlier just about when is enough because so much of modern day society is all about pushing, about what's next, about striving for it, it's about being productive and progressive and what, whatever it might be. But I think it's, it was a Bob Marley quote that I saw on Instagram this morning that I was like, oh, that's a nice one. It's only when you step out of the race do you actually win the race. And I think it's, with life, it's only when you take that moment to stop and appreciate how fortunate we are and how taking that present moment to suddenly just 
wow, listen to those birds. They're beautiful. Or wow, look at the complexity of this leaf or this coffee. The amount of journey it took. Literally every single person on this planet has impacted this coffee being here with me in this present moment. And I think it's only when you can take a moment to sit and reflect upon that, you go, wow. It's there's, there's a significant, and I think that's the challenge of society nowadays. Like, there's never been a time where there's more kind of stimulation, more demands on us, more kind of we're, we're busier than we we've ever been. But ultimately, this is a challenge which we we personally both find is that you've it's constantly you have to catch yourself and go, okay, now this is where it's at. This is life. This is everything. It's to to breathe, to take it easy. And when we were discussing earlier, when I talked about it's often you meet people that are terminally ill or who've kind of had a near death experience or something where they really they really appreciate the moment where they're living life differently. They're not going around on autopilot like I, I often am, you often are, I'm sure. All of us kind of in some form, we go in this robotic, quick, quick, more, more, more. Where it's only when you can really catch yourself and kind of go, okay, life is now. It's about connection. It's about... Like, like even just like, like an example came, remember last Thursday, um, like we swim in the sea at sunrise every day and we've kind of gotten the habit of it. And it's now, there are some gorgeous photos on the Happy Pads Instagram, guys. If, if, you, if you don't follow them, I'd encourage you to follow them and have a look at these beautiful yeah, yeah. photos that just and, and inspire it's you. But sunrise people, you know, you tend to forget that there's this incredible incredible beautiful thing about nature and it kind of just came about we were Dave was walking well I go into the full story yeah I go into a little bit we were quite Luddite we were quite anti-tech like running a vegetable shop and being all about creating a happier healthier world we thought tech is the antithesis of this so we were you know we didn't have mobile phones and we were asked to do catering at the Dublin Web Summit um, which subsequently has become the Web Summit which is the biggest tech conference in the world but it was in Dublin in a place called the Mansion House and we were making juices and smoothies for all these tech people so we were making juices for this fella called Jack Dorsey that founded something called Twitter and some fella called Reed that founded something called Netflix and some fella called Nicolai who started this thing called Skype. I didn't know what any of these were. Didn't know any, didn't know them from Adam or Eve. I, I didn't know, you know, no rec- reference, but the conversations we had were fascinating. And I remember coming out from it going, I must really work out what a Twitter is and what a tweet is and what Skype is and how all these things work. So we got ourselves smartphones and we were working it out. And Dave had, we, we have five children uh, between us, not together, but um, <laughs> Dave was uh, down walking Elsie, his first child, uh, to sleep as you do at 5am in the morning. Yeah, seven years ago. And the sun rose and Dave took a picture and put it up on social media and people really connected with it because it was a symbol of hope, new dawn, beauty, nature. You know, it was very simple. There was a purity to it. So we got in the habit of going down to see sunrise because we used to get up at half four to go into the fruit market. So we enjoyed those early hours of the day. And we were down there and I remember it was a rainy day and it was, it was September and it was kind of cold. And I was down taking a picture of the sunrise and there was a fella there and he said, do you want to get in there, lads? And I'll, I'll mind your, your gear. And it was like, and if anything happens, I'll get in and save you. And it was like, I don't really want to do this, but here's a man challenge me. It's like, of course I'll do it. And in I got, and I came out and we got chatting and he said his name was Neil. And he said, I'll see you here tomorrow at the same time. I was like, okay. So I went down the next day and then there was Caroline, another friend, Caroline Barrington. She was in the beach and she came and joined us. And we swam together at sunrise and then we got out and then afterwards see you again tomorrow so we did that for a September and then it was like I wonder if we're going to keep this going and then Hugo joined us and then Fran joined us and then we'd, we'd go on the 1st of October and we'd end up jokingly going oh we've paid our membership for October we've got to keep going and we've suddenly done it for about two and a half years and we um, every morning 
every morning when we're at home and we'd put things up on social media and I started using Snapchat about two or three years ago and many people see Snapchat as it's something for younger generations and it's mostly naked pictures but there's a lot more to it it's very it's very of the moment like as in I'm gonna have lunch now does anyone want to come and someone actually shows up in a physical form so you're right. you're taking this digital platform and it's actually connecting in the physical realm so I remember we used to get hundreds of messages from people going oh, I'd love to come and join you but they didn't realise sunrise was at four. You had to get at four thirty a.m. There was a wind that was would have skinned you. The water was two degrees and the air temperature was zero. So it was it was quite a bracing experience, albeit phenomenal and very invigorating. So I remember it was summer, and I remember going. This was a Tuesday morning. I put it up in Snapchat. Right. Enough of these messages. We're having a public swim rise. Everyone's invited. We're meeting at the Happy Pair at 4.30am because sunrise was at 4.50 and this was the big hook. There's going to be free porridge and we're going to bring tea. Uh, So I met Dave that Thursday morning at 4am to prepare the porridge. And I wasn't sure, you know, I thought there might be five people. There might be Raj, Mark, maybe a few others, maybe the usual crew. Uh, And we couldn't find a small pot. So we ended up cooking a big pot and we walk out at 4.30am and there's about 150 people. We walked in the middle of the road, down to the sea, the sun rises. It was a beautiful experience. And suddenly we've probably had 500, 700 people do it, like big ones. And now that's for these kind of big public swim rise events, which we've done really just to celebrate community and the simple act of kind of, you know, the sunrise is such a symbol of hope and and dawn and a new beginning. And and there's so many people that fo- that are part of the community on social media that follow us on Instagram and whatnot, that they kind of go, oh, like it's a great opportunity to come along, meet like-minded people and enjoy in this basic, simple thing of swimming at Sunday. And nowadays, pretty much every day of the week, we get people from all over the world come and join us. You know, like there, there was a guy from Alaska stopped over a week. There was a guy from Boston came over. So and- it's because it's a thing and people know it's going to be happening. And when you guys are in town, you will be there at the ocean in the morning. Yeah, down at sunrise. And there's, there's a, a lot of cross demographics. There could be Linda and Detty. I think Detty just turned 69. Linda's 70. There could be Neil, who's like 45. There's a, there's a great cross section of people who come and do it. And like, although you swim in the sea, it's, it's cold. So it brings you back to the present moment. It's quite bracing. You forget what you're stressing about. You come out and then you share tea with people. You have great chats, great friendship, great joy. That, it, that although in winter it might seem like quite a stoic pursuit or kind yeah, of crazy absolutely. activity, on the way down, you're, it's rain and it's miserable. You're going, am I crazy? Like, this is ridiculous. And then you come back on, oh my God, that was amazing. Because you're do, just. Do, do your kids ever come with you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kids do. Kids do come with us. But I was going to say two things on that is like, we often call it Dr. C because it's just the best medicine there is of all. Yeah. We'll often go down and you'll kind of say, I, like, I don't always like the person getting into the sea, but I love the person coming out because it's such a, like, it brings you back to the present moment like nothing else. And there's lots of media medical studies now backing this up and yeah, cold, cold water, water swimming. therapy yeah. and in terms of invigorating your immune system, your your whole kind of body and, and your mental health primarily, really. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of work going on about how it could be a treatment for depression as well, yeah, potentially. Yeah. And it's just incredible. There's so many things to talk about, I guess. You, you have created a community where not only yourselves, but many other people also go into the ocean every morning oh, it's, it's much in more- Ireland, even in the winter, which is just incredible in itself. But I'm interested on an individual level, you know, what benefits have you felt in your own life from having that sort of morning ritual? I think it's one of the highlights of our days, honestly. And I can say me personally, like sometimes you'll go, oh, geez, it's so early. I don't feel like it and it can be challenging. 
and then you'll walk down to you'll meet a, there might be a couple of people at the shop and we'll we'll make tea we usually make a four litre flask of tea and we'll bring some little snacks because it's as much the community and the chats after as important as to see and we'll walk down and you'll kind of go geez are we crazy and then you'll suddenly turn around the corner to the beach and you'll see the light, you'll see the dawn. You're like, you'll suddenly, my spirits will lift. We'll get down to the beach. There'll be, it's this sense of overcoming this obstacle. We're getting in this cold water together. And, uh, and you'll meet people on the beach and in we go. What do you do when you're not at home? So you travel a lot as yeah. part of your business and, and what you guys are doing. Um, like, let's say this morning, for example, you... Well, I'm Got guessing up at three thirty. You you kind of let go of the routine and you enjoy the sense of break from it. Like today, we yeah. got up at four. I was up at four a.m. Met Dave in the shop and we went in. I didn't even do handstands. I watched Iron Man, a Marvel movie, on my phone, and it was so enjoyable. <laughs> you know, just mixing it up and just like like I guess. In modern day society, if you're really focused and driven, you're reading product productivity books and you're very focused on self-help books and you're meditating and you're doing everything. But it was so lovely just to watch, you know, some total fantasy movie. And it was so wonderful. Uh, but saying that in terms of today, like we're traveling, we're going down to London later today. I'm sure at some stage we'll find somewhere to do handstands or do yoga because movement like in our day. In, in the various form if we don't get a swim in we'll certainly do handstands for a bit we'll probably stretch, we'll stretch. Uh, well I have just seen you guys do handstands in front of me in my living room it's incredible and I hope because my son's on half term he's not in at the moment I really hope that he gets to come and actually watch that because daddy you know I can't do them I'd love to be able to do them so I'm hoping you know watching you two do it might inspire him to go wow you know that, that's a pretty cool thing that someone actually did it in real life in my living room <laughs> do you know what I mean in terms of making it practical it wasn't on YouTube or it was actually I saw it with my own eyes yeah, so that's the brilliant. selfish part of me I, I want I'd love my son to actually sure see that um, but can I just ask you know a lot of people including myself will be listening to that and going you know that just sounds Id- I- idyllic to me I would love you know especially as I'm getting older I'm I'm realizing more and more that you know I'm very proud of what my mum and dad's you know how they brought me up I think they did a fantastic job. They were immigrants here in the UK, you know, trying to literally give me and my brother as, as the best possible life, like like most parents, to mm. be fair. And, you know, I just don't think growing up, I had a lot of exposure to nature with my family. You know, I, I'm, you know, maybe at school or whatever sports we were doing, sure. But it wasn't a big thing. And I'm realizing more and more, particularly as I get older, that I'm craving, you know, swimming in the ocean you know i i've, I've rarely done that in my life or like rarely done that. yeah i like i've taken up running recently and I, I i don't run on roads i'll go and run in the local park or in it's like a forest i'll go for a run there and it just it's a different experience and i'd love to um to bring my children up with that real connection to the natural world connections to the natural world exactly when so much of how we live particularly in urban environments is disconnected from the urban uh, from the natural world including the food that we eat so yeah. much, so much of the time we're, we're disconnected but i guess on one level you know people might go that's fantastic but i don't live near the ocean so is there something about a morning ritual whether you have access to the ocean or not i mean is, is there something about having a sort of defined morning ritual that sets the right tone for the rest of the day. Yeah, I think brilliant. It's something that we work really hard with. I think happiness is something that unites us all as humans. And it's something as a father, it's all I really want for my children. I want them to be happy. I don't, and be, obviously be respectful, not disrespect anyone, but to be happy and fulfilled in their life. And I think one of the cornerstones of happiness is 
obviously the sleep and you go through it in your, your book, very good, Rangan. But uh, one of them is movement. And I think it's something that we've created and we've had to work quite hard to create a morning routine and ritual around it because back many years ago, you get up, you check your emails, you quickly get, it's very easy to get stuck into work, but it's, it was only a number of years ago, we went over to Cambridge and we sat with a, a man called um, Charles Handy. David written a thesis on him. He, he's written a number of um, kind of business philosophy books because his father was a vicar. So he's quite philosophical approach on business. And he was 84. And we, we went to meet him to kind of discuss what is enough. And like we'd opened three cafes and we'd we'd borrowed a sum of money and we talked about opening five, ten more cafes. And we were kind of wondering, like, what is enough? What's true success? And it was only through that conversation that I realized true success was being able to get up, go train with Dave, whether it be handstands, yoga, gymnastics, going for a run, whatever it might be, some form of a training for an hour, go for a swim at the sea at sunrise, come back, have brekkie with my kids, take my kids to school. And anything else was a bonus after that. But that start, it felt really grounded. I felt very um, connected to myself. And I think, although we may, it might be perceived that we live in an idealistic environment, and and although we do, when we travel to London, there's so many wonderful parks and so many incredible people that social media, albeit gets a bad rap, a wonderful ability to connect with people if you reach out. And I think it's a matter of, like regularly in the morning when we wake up, say I wake up at five o'clock in the morning, I don't want to train, especially now it's October, it's colder, it's darker, it's like, I don't want to train. But if I've agreed to meet Dave and Raj at 530 I'll meet I'll show up. Community, right? It's social support and social exactly. accountability. So and I, think I think that's a key point there. And, and, and then when you show up and you meet Dave and Raj and you don't feel like training, it's the lads. Like, I got to bring my game. I don't want to look bad in front of the lads. So, so you end up helping and supporting each other in a nurturing environment to have a laugh and to be better versions of yourself. And then I mightn't feel like meditating, but Raj and Dave do. So it's like, okay, we all meditate. And afterwards, I always feel better. I never yeah. go... And, and it, it really... I, <laughs> Trying to make lifestyle change by yourself it's, can be it's challenging. It's really difficult, yeah. Can, can, it can be incredibly challenging. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we were just um, when we were just having coffee now, just chatting about the those BBC One series that I did, Doctor in the House, where I went in to help families with a whole variety of different health issues. And I realized more and more, obviously, a, a very, very um, luxurious opportunity in many ways to actually be and actually meet the whole family because often... In my surgery, I'm only seeing one person in the family. But any change that I would try and implement with, let's say, the sickest person in that family, I'd always try and encourage everyone to do it together. Because I said, actually, it's going to be very hard for you individually to make lifestyle change. If you're trying to, let's say, reduce your sugar intake, for argument's sake, yet your husband is having... Three miles per a day, you know, on the sofa next to you while you're trying to resist. You know, that that is destined within days. There's going to be there's going to be a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I think there is there's something about community um, if you're if you're lucky enough to have it. But uh, but I guess the wider point there is, you know, social media has come up a bit. It comes up a lot now in the press, you know. It's not all bad. It's not all good. You know, it depends how we use it. And you got, as you just said, we wouldn't have met each other without social Whatever, media. Yeah. yeah. We wouldn't can be here it, doing but, this. But before, before we talk about social media, can I tell one little story, which Please. is related on the community and the health front? It was, uh, so as we said, we started with the idealistic idea of creating a healthier, happier world back in 2004. 
And we used to do cooking demos upstairs in our restaurant and try to teach people kind of talk about health. And people would come along and they wouldn't really change. They were kind of little evening episodes. And you'd walk past the chip shop the next day and you'd see people there that were at the course and they'd look guilty when you're walking past. So you'd see you weren't really affecting much change. So we kind of, we put our heads together. It was, this is back about 2008. I was reading Dean Ornish's book, you know, Dr. Dean Ornish. And he was one of the guys that showed in clinical trials that you could reverse a lot of the indicators for heart disease. So I was reading this and Steve says, uh, why don't we come up with a course that you can measure the improvement in your health? And he had just been talking to someone in Weight Watchers who was measuring their weight. And he said, let's come up with a course to see to see if we can reverse indicators for heart disease. So uh, I went down to the local doctors and I asked Angela, the nurse, I said, Angela, we need a nurse. Will you, we want to do this experiment. Will you help us? And she said, sure. We put up signs around the shop and we said, reverse heart disease. We said, lose weight, skinny, sexy, whatever. And here we were, two lads that were running a vegetable shop that were chefs. And uh, so anyway, people came along. We, we said it was free and we had 20 guinea pigs signed up. They came along the first night. Angela had ever, measured everyone's cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. So we had three starting measurements of our study, you know, quote unquote study. They came upstairs to us and we taught them how to cook. It was a lifestyle course. So we taught them how to cook, you know, porridge for breakfast, chia seed puddings. It was it was eating fruit salads. It was, it was basic, simple stuff for breakfast. For lunch, it was making vegetable soups and salads. Dinners were pad thais and chilies and dals and curries. And it was all plant-based. We put them on a, a completely whole food plant-based diet for a month. That was it, four weeks. And they came once a week to us and we really supported them with the food because everyone was eating meat and two veg. And it was a big shift for a lot of people. And we put on videos of men in white coats and women's in white coats that were doctors who were kind of supporting it all. And uh, it came to the last night, I remember, and me and Stephen were, we were really nervous because we thought if this doesn't work, it's going to go against everything we stand for. We're going to have to, you know, shut up shop and go get a job in a bank or something. You know, we, we really felt we were putting our, our lives on livelihood on the line. And uh, thankfully, this is back in 2008, there was a 20% drop in everyone's cholesterol in the course. Um, everyone's blood pressure regulated. They all lost weight. And, uh, and it was incredible. And in the back of that, we did the classroom course for the next couple of years. And subsequently, it got so much media attention, we couldn't do the classroom course anymore, that we built an online course. And now we've had more than 15,000 people do it in 52 different countries. Can people still do that today? Yeah, yeah. It's our online happy heart course, which we've, which it just gets such good results over four weeks that it's this, and it's all about lifestyle. It's about simple, it, it's everything that you talk about in your book. Okay, can they, can people access it on your website? Yeah. So yeah. guys, I will put a link to that on the show notes for this episode, which is going to be at drchastity.com forward slash happy pair. If you just go to that after the podcast or even now, you'll be able to see everything we're, we're talking about. You can, you can get links straight onto that course if you want to sign up for that. But one of the bits that makes that course sustainable is community. It's the fact that there's many people doing it together at the same time and that they support one another and they see each other doing it. And that's ultimately, I think, to bring it back to, if you do want to make any lifestyle change, it's you need the support of the community around you. Yeah. Like, as I know, when we changed our diet and our lifestyle significantly and we came back to our hometown and lots of people were like, what happened to the lads? Like, my God. We had to reach out to kind of other people that I knew that were into health and go, listen, can we meet up and like, you so know, you discuss. create a new community and that's what we had to do. And that's, are you, you, you know, are you still in touch with your rugby buddies? Yeah, yeah, from... yeah, we'd still, I'd still see lots of them. And although we don't necessarily have the same 
let's say lifestyles you still you've spent you've you spent 20 years yeah. growing up together so there's great respect and a laugh together but you just you don't go to the pub and have pints most of them have well, kids so you've well now they kind of accept us because you know it's validated by society that what we're exactly. doing is okay so now it's easier but at the start it was certainly a bit because you're right it is becoming a lot more acceptable now it is you know it's incredible for me very gratifying as a doctor um to see that you know, lifestyle is being spoken about a lot more. It's a lot more socially acceptable. It's not necessarily seen as I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was very much, well, you can either enjoy your life or you can be healthy. Yeah. And I think there's been a big shift where I think a lot of people start to realize, hey, you can have both. And I certainly, I think I'm, I'm super enjoying my life and I love, you know, paying attention to my lifestyle. They all sort of it all feeds each other for me. And I, I guess it's the same for you guys. And, and I think think quite interesting on that topic, there's, you know, like health, people get caught up with the idea that it, it, it's only, it's a one track. It's a certain, like you do yoga, you eat kind of lots of fruit and veg, you meditate, you go to bed early and that's health. But we all know people that are 90, 95 years old that have drank whiskey. They, they ate an awful diet. They smoked 50 cigarettes a day. But they laughed so much. They surrounded themselves with, with people that really lifted them up. They, they had a really close-knit community of people. So I think health is it's not necessarily these kind of topics which we're talking about. There's so many factors to it. And food is just one aspect to it, kind of meditation, mindfulness, community. All, there's so many factors that make us really ultimately a happy, healthy human. You're right. And I think you know, one thing I'm trying to do with this podcast is take health outside the health sphere. So what I mean by that is I think for far too long we've – you know, we've got our lives and on the side, oh, we've got our health. We sort of need to eat a bit better. We need to kind of pay attention to that. that salad. You know, because it's such a pain, but I've kind of got to do it. I'm getting a bit older now, all that kind of stuff. And I, I actually believe in that, that health is relevant to each and every single one of us because the better you feel in yourself, the more you get out of life. And, you know, different things will make different people feel good. But I genuinely, my, my belief is, and I see it day in, day out with my patients, is that, once you can inspire them with with a nugget of information that, that that really connects with them, so they want to start making change, it's very much like a domino effect, and it's never just one thing. That's why I remember when I you, you, we were talking before about um, this four pillar approach that I talk about, and the reason I talk about it is because I kind of feel that you know health is a different thing to everyone it's, it's, yeah, it's not the same to everyone and some people like you guys you guys started on food and that was your journey but now you're you're yes you're talking about food still but you're talking a lot about community and happiness yeah. whereas I, i've got to be honest i've had patients who didn't want to start with food they wanted for them getting more physically active first was the trigger that was the first domino for them that led them to sleeping better which then they thought Hey, I wonder what happens if I change my diet. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So we, we've everyone goes out on a on a many on, many gateways to access the, the I guess feeling a better version of yourself or feeling more connected. Yeah, I, I think one thing that you said about nature, um, to try to be more connected with our natural environment. One of the things that I definitely get out of spending more time in nature is I'm reminded that we live in this very I guess modern society, or many of us do, where it's very humans are the dominant species, and we forget we're mammals and we're part of where we're at the mercy, I guess, of the planet and our environment in which we live in. It's only when you spend time with nature do we remember our own insignificant and that we're part of this greater system. And I think it's when we remember our own insignificance, we remember our own mortality and we remember, wow, we're part of a greater system and we must play our part. This, At least that's what it, it reminds me. And I think 
I think it's very beneficial for us all to do that. And I was just going to say, just to bring this back to relevance, is that uh, as mammals, you know, uh, and back to your fourth pillar plan, I think something, movement is such a fundamental thing to one's happiness and something which we use as a basic measurement. I remember I was sitting having breakfast with mom probably about six months ago. I was up in her house and she got this, our mother's 67 and she got this Fitbit. And I was like, oh, that's just for people of your age, mom. That's not for me. I'm like, I'm a fit ambassador for health. Like, and, uh, and I'm sitting there and she said, I'm asking her, how many steps she got and she said oh I got 23,000 steps yesterday oh my average is about 20,000 and I had no reference to that I thought oh, that's just for you mom good on you and she said it she says to me I, I think your phone actually counts the steps for you and she was looking around at my phone she said oh look look there's this health app so I, I pressed the health app <laughs> and, I'm, and she's going back through my steps and says oh jeez you only got 7,000 <laughs> 8,000 and I realized oh my god your like, mother's so, getting my more mother's activity than you smashing me out of it so, so something which we do is and this is like we live busy active we're like ambassadors for health and 10,000 steps I think is such a basic thing that everyone can measure whether you've got a sitting job whether you've got a moving job it's a basic measurement that I think as mammals what they're saying now which you will totally validate is that sitting is the new smoking like sitting is the thing that's causing as much disease and disharmony in yeah. our bodies and I think what they're saying now it's not it's not exercising half an hour a day or an hour a day vigorously it's consistently moving throughout the day when they look at these blue zone areas where people do live these vast long lives that are wholesome and fulfilled these people live lives of inconvenience where they move consistently. and that's the key yes that's like the key. cycling throughout the day like moving in, in and out they're, they're consistently active they grow their own vegetables they do they live a life of inconvenience and i think we've got to proactively do this in society now. And, and that's I, that, you, you, I mean that in a nub is why we're struggling so much because life is convenient now Oh yeah, you and get up, always, you turn on the heat, and you turn on the cooker. You cook your. We've strived for that as humans. We've always looked for what's the easy. How can we make that easier? To be as you know? energy efficient as possible. Yeah, and and that's how why we. You know, one of the reasons we've evolved so well, and we, you know, that's why we're here today. But in some ways, that 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 sort of in the current environment, that's actually potentially proving problematic because you know as i've said before in the podcast even even gathering food now, you know, our phones are here. We could literally go on there, go on an online shopping app. And within hours, the food's delivered. You know, we could just still be sitting here and food will come here. And we've never, ever been able to acquire food as humans with that ease. Yeah. And so it's that whole and inconvenience with that piece. disconnection, as in who grew our food? How was it grown? How was it cooked? How was it served? And often then we'll eat it looking at our phones. Yeah. So it's, again, I think the more we can appreciate the connection to our food or to more of life, the more we're going to feel whole and more connected without going too ephemeral and philosophical and we don't mean to come across preachy in any sense we're, everything we're saying here we're doing our best to, to live a life like that we're saying it as much to ourselves as absolutely you know but there was a podcast I listened to very recently by Zach Bush we, I think you said you yeah. listened to it too and he was asked a very good question at the end he was said uh, what would you do if you were Surgeon General you know, doctor, the Surgeon General of America. And he said, the one thing which I do, he, he referenced Israel. He said, Israel have an amazing army because everyone has to spend an obligatory one year after school in the army. And he said, if I was put on Surgeon General, I would make everyone to spend one year working on an organic farm because therefore they would appreciate where food came from. They'd appreciate a connection with the land, with nature. And I think from the back of that, it would catalyze so much positive change within our societies. Yeah. And I thought that was just, wow, what a... Yeah, it is. It's incredible. You're, you're right. And, and, and I think 
That's the missing piece when we talk about what a healthy diet is. You know, it's like we're still talking about the components, you know, and often we're talking about fat v carbs, which, which again, I'm not a huge fan of that debate. Yeah. Um, you know, I've really evolved my thinking w- within that within that field. And I, and I sort of think that, you know, we've been quite reductionist. It's like, where is that food coming from? What's the bigger picture? But I think one thing is worth is worth mentioning because you guys, I think all the cookbooks completely vegan. It's our first one. When we first started our business, we never labeled it as vegetarian or even vegan. It was just, it was for healthy food. Because in a small, we're from a small town of, I think at the time there was about 10,000 people in the village. And if you opened a vegan restaurant, good luck. Like back 14 years ago. So so we labeled it as just a healthy food place. And people would come in and they'd, they'd order, it'd be chickpea curry, but they'd see chicken curry. And you wouldn't tell them. So you give them their chick chickpea curry or what they thought was chicken curry and they'd eat it and they go that was lovely and then then they come in again you'd see them next week and they're getting a shepherdless pie they thought it was shepherd's pie and it was only after about a month they might come up to you and go jeez I never even realised it was vegetarian Yeah. and then a few months later you, you catch them doing yoga so, so it's amazing how food can be just a, an entry point and I think it's labels like that can be quite binary and separate people but ultimately with and what I was just going to say just to answer the question is our first two cookbooks were vegetarian rather than vegan and it's only our recent cookbook which came out in June is is fully vegan it's 100% vegan recipes and our message is not to make anyone vegetarian or vegan it's not to isolate it's really to include and ultimately all the leading research says the more whole foods you can eat the better it's not about vegetarian it's not yeah. about vegan it's it's really about having a body that's healthy and, and, that's, and you know, functions well I've got to say Dave one of the things that has really resonated with me about your approach um, and what I've heard you guys speak before is that it's not preachy and it's not you know excluding people who eat meat, for example, you know, certainly always the impression I've got because, you know, yes, you are both vegan, uh, but this is not a, uh, this is not a vegan podcast. This is not a paleo podcast. This is not a, this is not an anything podcast in the sense that it's not about labels. It's about being open-minded it's about and, being open-minded and, and you guys have found that for you, that is working incredibly well, but I'm assuming that you've got friends who eat meat Absolutely. and, you know, I don't know what your family do, for example, but I just find it, I think there's a, a lot of people think these days you've got to, you know, once you're in that, in a certain club and you've marked out your territory, that's it. And you can only... You know, they hang out with other people who are that way inclined. Yeah. And, and you, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's, but I've never got that impression from you guys that it's like No, that. I, I think ultimately we're all going to die. And as much as me even saying that can come across pessimistic or nihilistic, ultimately I think once we accept our own mortality, we're, we're going to live a more fulfilled life. But irrespective of what our dietary choices, we're going to die. And even if you're vegetarian or vegan, you're not going to get into the VIP section of heaven or whatever it is you believe. Like, so I, I think it's about doing our best and accepting our own limitations and enjoying it. Because there's no point you sitting there eating a bowl of kale going, I hate kale. Eat the burger and enjoy it. You know that way? Oh, so that's a really good point, actually. And I think it's not about exclusive, like food can often be about, it can be almost like religion where people can get very up on their high horses and this is the right way to eat. And it's like food is just one part, like it really is. And I can say this in the point of view of having really explored it and gone into raw vegan and got into fasting and cleansing and living behind a waterfall in a cave with a whole lot of yogis in Costa Rica and really getting into, really exploring, seeing if you could eat yourself to enlightenment, which I realized you couldn't and getting very, <laughs> not yet anyway, getting very kind of too as you use the word too kind of microscopic on things and realizing that food is just one part of and and it's only one small little part of being a happy human like there's so many factors to it yeah 
Yeah, there really are. And, and and in saying that, I think eating, like, as a society, we need to eat more fruit and veg. Like, we say this from the point of view of people that have eaten a whole food vegan diet for 17 years. And really, I think it's about eating more fruit and veg. And that's the name of the game and whole foods. Yeah, and, and it's... And starting where you're at. And starting where you're at. You actually, I mean, I think I've always thought about this and uh, as a doctor. You know, as a doctor, I've got to be inclusive. I've Any patient that walks through my door, whatever their ethical choice, whatever their their own preference, I feel a huge responsibility that my job is to help them within that framework. You know, wherever they're at, I've got to meet them there. And so I can't really, as a doctor, I, I, I don't feel I can be part of a, you know, a religious dietary tribe. Mm. You know, I kind of feel I've got to cover all bases because actually I'm, I'm a doctor to, to help whatever patient walks through my door. I want to be able to help them if they... You know, if they have a strong attachment to eating meat and fish, uh, let's say, then I want to be able to help them around that. If someone comes in and they want to be vegan and, you know, they've got str- – and I do have some patients and I, I have often with some of them felt that actually I kind of feel that maybe – some uh, animal protein may help you for mm. a, for a couple of months or a couple of years to really, you know, let's say with an iron level or a low B twelve level. Mm. And then again, you know, this is this is not the podcast to go into the debate <laughs> on supplementation <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But I've realised I've got to meet people where they're at, and that's why, you know, I, you know, one one of the the recommendations I made in my first book was to eat five different vegetables a day of different colours if you can. Brilliant. Why? Because I think as a society, as you guys have said, we're not, most of us are not eating enough plant foods, yeah, right? Totally. That applies. And, and I know there's, there's a lot of people who follow paleo who listen to this podcast, a lot of people who follow what would be called a low carb diet who listen to this podcast. And guys, you know, I'm really, really keen to emphasize this. That I'm going to be getting a whole variety of people on this podcast. You know, I'm going to get people from the vegan community, the paleo community, the low carb community. Why? Because I want a whole selection of different voices to help you know, give information, give perspective. And ultimately, you guys have to choose what resonates with you. What resonates with you. But I've got to say that in, in nearly, well, 18 years now, I think, of seeing patients, I've got to say most of my patients, I don't think, eat enough vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think, can I, can I say one thing? Sorry for good. I'll go. Wait, we've currently got Dave and Steve fighting over the mic. There's only one mic that they're sharing, just in case you guys can't. It's, it's better that we share a mic, otherwise we'll talk <laughs> over each other. But I think, you know, Eight out of 10 Irish people and UK people do not eat enough fibre. And I think fibre is a vital macronutrient that people don't discuss enough. And I think fibre, as you know, like even in Ireland, like say we were trying to launch a healthy eating program in schools. And I went down to my daughter's school. This is May's school. And I was sitting down with um, the principal, who was Sister Kathleen. And she'd been principal there for, it could have been 40 years. An amazing kind of stalwart. And we were discussing the program. And I was saying, fibre. And as soon as I said fibre, she lit up. And I was like, I've never seen a nun like get really turned on by fiber. And she said, it's amazing. Over my 40 years here, it's only in the last five years, every single week, there's about three children go home sick due to constipation. And she said, this was never a problem. But she said, it's only in recent years as diet has changed massively that people aren't getting enough fiber, that constipation has become an issue. So I think most of us need to eat more fiber and fiber, three vital functions uh, just to reduce it. You know, weight loss, people don't realize that fiber is connected with weight loss because you'll feel more full and generally on 
lower calories. Second one, obviously, digestion. And third one is immune system. It's a prebiotic. So I think we all need to eat more fiber. And even... Where do you get fiber? Fiber you get in fruit, veg, beans, legumes, and whole grains. So it's in plant food. But even recent research from the University of Oxford, it was earlier this year, trying to find out what was the most important factor you could do to re- reduce your environmental impact. And that wasn't, uh, you know, electric cars. It wasn't not flying. It wasn't solar panels. It was to try to eat a vegan diet. And by that, it's not to be exclusively a vegan. But if all of us can just try to eat more whole foods, we're going to feel better. And also the environments with which we depend on is going to feel better too. Yeah. And you know that, you know, that the, I don't know if you've, you've seen much on the Hadza tribe in Tanzania. They're a... Um, they're a modern hunter-gatherer tribe. Still, they're they're living in a way very. They're very. They're still living uh, a lifestyle that's relatively untouched by modernity and how we're all living these days. You know, in terms of their medication, how they live, their hunter-gatherers. And what's incredible is that they they've been studied a lot in terms of you know they have very low rates of disease. They're very physically active. And they have about 100 to 150 grams of fiber every single day. Right. So they're hunting. Yes, they're they're hunting animals and eating it, but they're eating a ton. So to put that in context, the average British person gets about 15 grams of fiber a day. Yeah. And the guidelines say we should be aiming for 30 grams. But these guys are eating 100 to 150 grams. And one of the... They must be eating planks of wood. Well, they're having lots of berries and they're having lots of tubers, lots of plants. Whole you know, grains, legumes. Yeah, I'm not be... sure they're having whole grains, but they're having yeah. lots. That the point is, is that they're getting their fiber in with by what they have access to in their environment. Now we, you know, I'm not hunting, and you know, going around Waitrose, I'm not. I'm not really sort of hunting for my food. I'm sort of mm. going to the aisles that I like and getting my foods. But one of the big things about fiber is. As you said, it's a prebiotic, which means it is the primary fuel source for all these gut microbes inside us. And it's the gut microbes eat that fiber. And the byproducts of that has incredible benefits for our overall well-being and our immune system health. So I think, you know, whatever anyone listening says, whatever your preference is on, on diets and wherever you are currently, most of us can benefit from increasing fiber. I'm just going to say one thing there, guys, is, and that's just... Um, Many people also have irritable bowel syndrome, yeah. uh, IBS. And for some people, some of these fiber sources don't suit them that well when their gut is already compromised. And that's, that's you know, we can't really go into that today. But yeah. a lot of people with IBS will say, yeah, but when I have this stuff, you know, I get more bloating. And that's a slightly separate issue, which, you know, my, my take on that is that we have to fix the underlying cause of the IBS. At that moment, your gut may be compromised where some of these fiber sources may not agree with you so well. But yeah, it, it's almost like, just to give an example of that, it's like if I break my arm and my arm is in a cast and for six weeks I can't really use my arm, the muscle atrophies. And it's a bit like if we've grown up eating a Western diet, our, our that's stomach, quite low in fiber. that's quite naturally low in fiber. Our digestive system isn't used to a lot of fiber. So if you kind of shift to starting eating a diet that's very high in fiber, it's a bit like your, your arm after it's been in a cast and you take it out. It's lost muscle. It's weak. It needs rebuilding. So for someone that wants to eat more fruit and veg, you might have to do it slowly. Start yeah. eating. And as you're saying, people with IBS in particular. But can I say two more things on that? You can. I was hanging out with a friend, uh, Dr. Alan Desmond, and he's a gastroenterologist there last week. And he was saying that 55% of calories in the UK and Ireland are coming from hyper-processed foods. So that's ultra-refined food. So I think as, as nations, the British, Ireland and the UK, to eat more fruit and veg is so fundamental. It really is. He also gave me the statistic. He said one in 17 men nowadays in the UK are going to get 
bowel cancer and he said it was one in 25 women in the UK like th- those are the statistics nowadays so I think fibre is imperative as, as you said this tribe that eat 150 grams to even get 30 grams is a huge start and ideally you'd even get it up to more you know yeah absolutely hey guys look we you know I'm so enjoying our chat I think we if you include our, our coffee conversation which we didn't record um, <laughs> you know we've probably been talking about it for about three hours now and then <laughs> there's plenty plenty more we could do but just to sort of try and bring this you know, wrap it up and bring it to a close in some way. Um, your 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 final book, well, your most recent, not your final book, your most recent book, I'm sure there will be more coming at some point, is called Recipes for Happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I think is a brilliant name. And, you know, happiness. I think happiness is something that has been spoken about a lot in the media these days. Everyone's sort of searching for happiness. And I guess I... My, my goal with it, with this podcast is to really inspire people and help empower them so that they go away each week feeling that they are the architect of their own health. You know, they're in control of what happens to them. So I wonder if you guys could finish off with some tips for happiness. Now, I normally ask for four tips, but Brilliant. it doesn't have to be four. It can be less. And you can guys have to five. You can go for five. You don't need to fight over them. You can both share it with you know, whoever wants to say it. But just some tips, which hopefully can inspire people as they finish off this podcast and to Go and make some change. Okay, to make this as practical as we could, here are our five tips for health and happiness. Number one, eat more fruit and veg. We just went through it. It's Most people don't get enough fiber and it's not an all or nothing type thing. It's really fruits, veg, beans, legumes, whole grain, nuts and seeds. We've got 400 recipes on YouTube. They're simple, they're easy, they're five minute dinner. Some of them, we have a chickpea curry recipe that has more than a million views. It takes five minutes to make. It's really high in fiber. So it's, it's making simple changes. It's not jumping into all or nothing. Yeah, and it's starting where you're at so if you eat meat 14 times a week maybe try doing it 13 just baby steps so that's point one try to eat more fruit and veg point number two we're mammals we need to move if we don't move we don't feel happy our primary fuel source most people when they hit that three o'clock slump what do we turn to we turn to coffee we turn to sugar we turn to alcohol some of us turn to cocaine some sort of a stimulant so i think our primary fuel source isn't food it's actually oxygen then it's water and only then is it food. So I think if you are looking to get more energy, it's a question where regularly asked, what food should I eat more for, for more energy? And we say exercise. So try to move. And a simple metric is to get 10,000 steps a day. Your smartphone will measure it. And if you have an office job that's kind of by a nature quite sedentary, drink lots of water. It means you got to get up and go to the toilet. So it means you're moving and you're rehydrating. I love so it. A, I, put that, I put that in my book yeah, as well, actually. It's, it's the same thing. So drink more water, you'll get it when you have to pee more. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, point number three, we talked about it quite a bit, is community. Ultimately, we all want to feel connected. We want to feel part of something. We want to feel a sense of belonging. And social media, as we were about to talk about, it gets such a bad rap of being isolating yeah. and whatever, but it can be such a positive tool to connect people. Like we wouldn't have met you today if we didn't connect via social media media so I think whatever means it is to make you feel to connect with other humans and you might have to proactively cultivate it it's about finding your tribe so every single person listening to this podcast and every single person on this planet is unique weird idiosyncratic special whatever way we brand it but it's to find your tribe to find people that share your values 
that are passionate about the things that you are. And the internet, as we mentioned, can get many bad press, but it also can make you find niche. You can find someone that's into tiddlywinks, any weird, obscure thing. Find people that are like you, connect with them. You'll feel more together, connected, united, and you'll feel happier. So I think community. I think that's one of the best things you can do for your immune system and your mental health as well, community. Point number four, what's one of your four pillars is sleep. And as kind of men that grew up in very alpha environments with four boys, all boys schools, dad was our role model. Like sleep was for a week. Yeah. Whoa, sleep. Was, you know, that was the kind of hardwiring we grew up. It was like the less sleep, the better. And it's only been the last few years since we've had young kids that we've really read into, we've prioritized it and we've learned so much about it. And two simple factors are, I guess, points that I can say about sleep that really resonated with me was one, men who get six hours sleep or less over a prolonged period will have the testosterone level of 10 years their senior. Yeah. And testosterone as a man, vitally important for one, being a man and two, for muscle production. So if you do want to feel more masculine, sleep is really important. The second one, Dave Pepper to get the mic. Uh, the second factor in terms of sleep is anyone who gets six hours sleep or less typically will consume two or 300 calories more. And of those calories, typically they're the wrong ones. So if you've had a bad night's sleep, you come into work, work is supplying you with brekkie. There's a great spread there. There's like fruit salad, there's chia seed puddings, there's all this healthy stuff. And then there's the other table full of croissants and pano chocolates. And if you're sleep deprived, what are you going to pick? Yeah, of course you're going to pick the pano chocolates. Anything to help support you. So I think sleep will help you stay in shape if that's what you're looking to do more. We could talk lots about this because we're really, really passionate about sleep. But just really practical things which you go into in your book is number one, your room should be dark. Number two, your lighting. Try to cut down on lighting. Reduce screen time before bed and routine. You know, as a parent, I with my eight year old, my five year old, we start at half six. We have a bath. We talk. I talk quieter. We read a book. We close the blinds. We really try to slow them down. But as adults, we lie in bed at eleven p.m. We're watching Game of Thrones. We're watching Jon Snow with his sword cutting some lad's head off. And then we turn the light out and we say, night, night, love. And we expect just to unwind just like that. So I think, as you say, a bedtime routine is so fundamentally important. And that might start at, and really what's core about it is to try to go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time, no matter what day it is, or no matter what you do. And if you're kind of, if you go to bed late and you've been out partying, maybe have a nap in the afternoon or something as simple as that. Last and final point, point number five. I think health, as we covered earlier isn't kale isn't yoga it's a it's a factor of many things and ultimately we're all going to die so find do more things that bring you back to the present moment make you feel happy and ultimately i think most important thing as cheesy and as totally stereotypical as this must say i think ultimately the most important thing about it is love so and, and that starts with yourself if your cup isn't full you can't fill anyone else's so start to do anything that cultivates that sense of self-love and brings you back to the present as cheesy and as um obviously an instagram quote that might feel but there's a huge wisdom and simplicity in it there, there were these guys i mean you you two of the most inspiring people i've come across you know and the energy the happiness that's there it's just fantastic and i really think that the, the listeners of this podcast are going to get a lot out of our conversation uh, i certainly hope so we could have spoken about so many more things. I really wanted to go into this whole thing about what is enough. That's a great topic. You know, and, and yeah, so definitely. That, that's something that we're uh, so interested we'll, in. We'll come back to that, definitely. In fact, we're trying to see if we can figure out a live event together in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So, so January. We, in, in January, yeah. maybe yeah. If we your can, book is out, which I'm excited to see, Stress. Yeah, well, if we can make that happen, maybe we can talk about that. Yes, there, we can. Because uh, <laughs> yes, I think that's can. really important because I think everyone is 
always seeking the next new thing or they're seeing someone else on social media so they want to chase that. So I think we'll park that and come back to that. Can I say one final thing? Just Of course you can. I was just going to say that uh, now we're over in the UK, we've got six products available in Waitrose. So if anyone wants to try our food that's high in fiber, we have two pestos, we have two hummuses and we have two dinners, which are quick, easy and simple. And they're all in Waitrose across the UK if anyone wants to try them. That's incredible, guys, from starting a vegetable shop to now having all your products available, you know, all over Ireland. Certainly now in the UK, you've got them here in Waitrose. That's absolutely fantastic. I've not tried those yet. I've tried what you've got on your goodie bags here, which is incredible. So I'll, I'll feed back in terms of how they sell, but I'm sure they will be incredible. For people who aren't familiar with you guys and what you do, obviously you've got a YouTube channel, which is just got so many subscribers and so much content there. But can you tell people where they can connect with you guys and follow you? Uh, we're, we're mad into social media. So whatever platform you use, we're most likely on it. The happy pair. And um, we tend to be prolific. If you're looking for kind of inspirational recipes, quick and simple, YouTube, Instagram, we do daily stories. We post about positivity and lifestyle and trying to make people's lives. And if anyone wants to come join us for a swim, meet us down at the Cove, sunrise, any day of the week. Just DM us on Instagram just to let us know you're coming. Oh, well, guys, I think that's a great note to finish it on. Thank you for you know, giving up your time today, flying out here to see me in my neck of the woods and uh, enjoy your time in London. Thank you, Rangan. What an honour. It's been great. Really, really wonderful. And if you don't know, Rangan's six foot six and he's a big hunk of a man. I didn't know that. <laughs> when you see Rangan on social media book, you just see this doctor and that, but he's a hunk of a man and he's a wonderful musician. <laughs> That concludes today's episode of the Feel Better, Live More podcast. I hope you feel as uplifted and energized as I did when I finished chatting to Steve and Dave. Do let us know on social media what you thought of today's episode. And if you have any further questions for either myself or the happy pair. Since we recorded this podcast, we have actually managed to sort out a live date together, which will be in Dublin in January 2019. All of my live dates for the new year can be seen on my website at drchatterjee.com forward slash events. If you enjoy my weekly podcasts, one of the best ways to support me is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. The reviews help to raise visibility of the podcast, which in turn helps me to attract better and better guests. You can also support the podcast by taking a screenshot right now and sharing it with your friends on social media. Please do remember to tag me and the happy pair. And don't forget to check out the show notes page for today's episode, which is drchastity.com forward slash happy pair, which contains links to everything that we talked about today, as well as links to buy the happy pair's books. As mentioned in today's episode, stress is often a key driver behind why we make the lifestyle choices that we do. I see in my practice every single day the impact that stress is having on our health and that was the main reason why I wrote my next book on this subject. The Stress Solution is for the simple and accessible tools to help you live a happier and calmer life and it's available to order now in paperback or in an audiobook which I will be narrating. I know that we're picking up new listeners to the podcast every week for those people who are joining me for the first time. My first book The Four Pillar Plan is all about helping people to make simple and accessible lifestyle changes. It has literally inspired thousands of people to make lifestyle change that many had previously thought unachievable. If you don't have a copy yet, please do consider picking one up. For those of you listening in the US and Canada, it has been released over there with a different title, How to Make Disease Disappear. That's it for today. 
I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure that you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my latest conversation. Remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle change is always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time.